Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. All right. Thank you for joining us at uh, Echo Community Church this morning. Let me pull over my my special table of wonders here. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. You're on board. Excellent. The train is rolling. Here we go. Toot, toot. All right. So <laughs> as uh, actually, and I'm going to preface it this way. Um, if you are, if that, if that word from the Lord that you heard earlier today was for you, and it was for me, it was definitely for me and my family, and it was for many of us here today. If you're wondering how you can wait while God, is, uh, while God is acting behind the scenes to bring your breakthrough, this message is going to tell you how. It's called peace. God will give you his peace, and as we'll talk about in a couple minutes, that will lead to a poise, a contentedness, and a rest that you can have regardless of circumstances. So if that's you this morning and you grabbed on, the, grabbed on hold that, from that word of the Lord and you're like, that was for me, this message is also for you, and also, if you didn't grab on, the message is still for you, about how, yeah, it's for everybody, about how you can have peace that doesn't shake, your, shake you to your core every single time that uh, circumstances change. So my assignment today is to teach you how Jesus brought peace at Christmas time. I thought about it, and I was like, well, that's pretty easy. There's lots of Christmas carols about peace. There's lots of uh, prophecies in the Bible about peace. Let me throw a couple to you real quick. Micah 5, uh, verses 2 through 5, which we just read together, ends in verse 5 by saying the Messiah will be the source of peace. He will be the author, the originator, the source of peace in the same way that a... a um, uh, there's the source of a river that the river flows out of. Peace will flow out of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, which we read during our Advent reading last week, say, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yes, his government and its peace will never end. So not only is the Messiah the source of peace, he is also the prince of peace, which means his dad is the king of peace. His kingdom is a kingdom of peace. And Isaiah writes that the peace that his leadership brings is never going to end. That's awesome. The Bible is abundantly clear that the Messiah would come and he would bring peace. And in fact, when we get to the Christmas narratives in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 2, the angels actually herald the arrival of not just the Messiah, but of the peace that he's bringing to the earth. So I'm going to read this to you. This is um, probably one of the most famous uh, portions of scripture here in America, just you know, because of the Charlie Brown Christmas special. So you, you could probably recite half of this with me, but I'll read it in the New Living Translation for you this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. That night... There were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So the angel shows up, the angel singular shows up, freaks out the shepherds and says, the Messiah is born, the Lord, he's born in Bethlehem, and then all the rest of them show up and <laughs> freak out the shepherds even more, and they say, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth. They're heralding the arrival that peace is now present on the earth. 
Now, let me ask you a question. We're 2,000 years later-ish. Does it look like we have peace in the earth right now? No. No. It doesn't look like we have peace globally. Our, our country doesn't look like it's at peace. Our neighborhoods don't look like they're at peace. I mean, I made the mistake of logging on to on Facebook to my uh, neighborhood's Facebook group. Y- yeah, some of you are like, ugh. Because you know, because now I know everybody's gripes with everybody else. They just passive-aggressively post on Facebook instead of actually dealing with, you know, biblically. Um, My neighborhood's not at peace. And if we're honest, I think when we take a look inside ourselves, sometimes we recognize that we're not even at peace with ourselves. Maybe we have too high a view of ourselves or too low a view of ourselves, or we, we beat ourselves up if we've done in the past or... We still feel the weight of sin on our shoulders, especially if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ. You might feel that. So it seems as though we're not at peace, and peace globally seems to be impossible to come by. So if Jesus brought peace to earth, then why, don't it, why doesn't it seem that we have peace? How do we solve this problem? What, is, what does it all mean? So believe it or not, the solution to uh, this problem of peace is starts with the same solution to, the, to hope that we talked about last week, and it starts with getting the biblical definition down first. Because the Bible wasn't written in English, it was written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. And there are some words the Bible uses to describe peace that have a different, a different definition than our commonly accepted uh, English or maybe uh, American definition of peace. Here's what we usually say, I think. I did a whole bunch of research. I looked at not just like normal people on Facebook, but I looked at human rights organizations and organizations around the world and in our country that promote peace nationally and globally. And I looked at all these different definitions and kind of boiled them down to this one. We generally define peace as the absence or cessation of conflict and suffering. Does that track with you guys? Does that sound about right? We think of peace as there is no suffering, there is no conflict. Whether it's, you know, physical violence, whether it's conflict of war, whether it's interpersonal relational conflict, no matter what it is, we tend to think, well, peace has been achieved if there's no more conflict and there's no more suffering. And now, if that's our metric by which we're judging peace, we take that and we look at this 2,000-year span between Jesus and us and we go, well, there is still suffering and there is not peace. And sometimes when you look at it, it looks like things are accelerating in the wrong direction. So what in the world does this mean? Well, the Bible's definition of peace, like I said, is a little bit different than just the end of conflict and suffering. And in fact, what the Bible teaches is that conflict and suffering are a byproduct of peace. It's not, they're not peace, it's not peace itself, but it's a byproduct of peace. Here are the words that the Bible uses for peace. There's a Hebrew word that we see all over the place in the Old Testament, and there's a, a Greek word that we see all over the place in the New Testament. Somebody help me out, because I know some people in this room know this. What's the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. Absolutely. Shalom. You know what it means? It means wholeness. It means completeness. It means soundness. It means all parts are together in a functioning whole. Nothing is broken. Nothing is missing. It's a state of wholeness. That's what shalom means. The Greek word from the New Testament is irene, and that means remarkably similar, same uh, similar definition. It means wholeness. It comes from the Greek root word ero, which means to join parts together. So then the Greek definition is also wholeness, and when all essential parts are joined together. So really, the biblical definition of peace is simply wholeness. Now, there are a lot other, there's a lot of stuff behind this. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of rich meaning that you find in the Bible around shalom and irene. And it would take me a really long time to go through all of that this morning. But the Bible Project did it in about two minutes with great graphics. So we're going to check out their video on peace, and uh, then I'll come back and continue teaching. but it also points to the presence of something better in this world. 
In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. All right. Do you get some of that richness in those definitions? Some of uh, you know, what's behind the curtain when we say something is whole. It really does mean that it is complete, that there's nothing missing. So let me take the word study there and the word study that we just got from the screen and kind of bundle it all together in a definition, a biblical definition of peace. There's two parts to this. Number one, peace is wholeness, completeness, and soundness because all us are together. So it's a state that you can be in, being whole, having everything you need. All the essential parts are together. That's whole. That's peace. The second aspect of it is active. It's a verb. Peace is the process of restoring something broken to a state of wholeness. So it can be something, something that is, is at peace, is whole, and to make peace is to make something whole. Does that make sense to you? Excellent. All right. So without further ado, I'm going to reveal our, our secret thing here with my typical pizzazz and flair. I don't know who was here in first service that did that, but I love you for doing that. Thank you. <laughs> Check it out. Oh, no. My shalom is broken. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, well, we're going to fix this, and I'm going to talk about the illustration while I fix the illustration, and we're all going to pretend like it's together and not broken in several pieces when I continue talking about it. So the reason that I brought a... Uh, a Lego unicorn, which I have subsequently destroyed in front of you, um, is because I, I needed a good sermon illustration to talk about wholeness. And the second reason is because I love it when a sermon illustration can uh, also be used as a Christmas present for my daughter, who really likes unicorns. So now that I've put that out there, don't you dare tell Esther that she's getting a rainbow unicorn Lego for Christmas. I will know if you told her because I know you were here. I have a very particular set of skills. I will find you. <laughs> so, what, so now that I'm you know, fixing my illustration here, there we go. We're just going to pretend like those pieces uh, aren't there. Hey. Okay, work with me here now that I've broken our wholeness. Does this look whole to you? Yeah, awesome. Okay, great. Thank you. Hooray. I'm glad it does. The reason that I brought a rainbow unicorn here is really because I want to show you an illustration of wholeness. Before I broke it, this was made up of 145 different pieces, and they were all together in complete harmony. 
No pieces are missing. No pieces are broken. Everything was in complete shalom, complete irene. It was in a state of peace. This is essentially what Jesus brings to earth at Christmas time. What Jesus brings when he is born is the perfect peace, the shalom, the irene, the perfect wholeness of God to the earth in human form. He physically brought the perfect wholeness of God into this broken world. That's how Jesus brings peace at Christmas time. Because God is, and you guys know this, God is perfectly whole, right? Does he need anything? No, he doesn't need anything. Paul says in Acts 17 that human hands can't serve God's needs because he has none. There is nothing that we can provide the Lord that he needs to exist. There is nothing that creation provides to him that he requires. He is already perfectly whole. And so when Jesus comes to the earth, he brings the wholeness of God. Colossians 2.9 says that in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So the perfect peace, the perfect wholeness in which God has always existed comes in human form in the incarnate son at Christmas time. He brought the perfect wholeness of God. But you know that's not the end of the story, right? Jesus didn't just come to show off who he was and peace out back to heaven. He came on a mission. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to free the captives. He came to restore the broken back to wholeness. He came to make peace. Why do you and I need peace? Why do we need it? Why do we need to be made whole? Because we're not whole, but we were made to be whole. We are not whole, but we were made to be. We were made in God's image, says Genesis 1.26, and I'm going to lean a lot on, on our teaching from Genesis the last couple of weeks, so I'm not going to get too deep into the theology here, um, but if you want the deep dives, you know, please check out our podcast or our sermon archive. But humans were made, says Genesis 1.26, in God's image, meaning that there are aspects of God that he kind of baked into us. We're not capital G God, we're not even little G God, we're humans, but we bear his image. We're three in one like he's three in one. We bear his moral image, which means we can tell right from wrong. We recognize there are concepts such as right and wrong. We are also made whole, like he is whole. He designed us, body, soul, and spirit, and all the tangible and intangible parts that make up those things, with the intent that they would function in complete peace, in complete wholeness. How do I know this? Look at the beginning of the book, look at where we started, and then look at the end of the book, look where God is bringing everything. We'll look at the, again, we'll look at the beginning because we've done a lot of work there the last couple weeks in our Genesis study. Man lived in perfect wholeness, in perfect peace with God and everything else in creation in the garden. Humans are at peace with nature. The earth produces food, Adam and Eve get the food. The animal kingdom is not warring because they have food. Genesis 1.30, God provides for them. Adam and Eve didn't need to hide from lions, tigers, and bears because, thank you, because, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, they didn't need to hide because God actually brought the animals to Adam to name them. So they're at perfect peace. Humans are at peace with each other. There's no marital conflict. There's no, there's no hatred. There's no there's no anger, there's no murder in the garden, so humans are at peace with each other. They're at peace with themselves internally. Why? There is no shame. There is no guilt. They are perfectly innocent. There's nothing that has entered their lives to make them feel, um, to look at themselves more highly or more lowly than they ought to. They view themselves accurately. They have no shame. And then humans are at peace with God. God made them exactly the way he wanted them. He said they were good. They were exactly as he designed them to be. And God provided for all of their needs in the garden. Everything was at perfect peace. 
until sin. Then the entire thing breaks down and shalom is lost. Humans' peace with nature is broken. Our peace with each other is broken. Our internal peace, when we think about ourselves, that's broken. We can't relate to ourselves the way that God designed us to anymore. And our peace with God is broken. The very first thing that Adam and Eve do as soon as they recognize their sin and they feel guilt and shame for the first time is they withdraw from the presence of the Lord. They hear him walking in the garden and they hide from him. For the first time in the universe, human beings hid from God. And God has to usher them out of the garden because as, we, as Paul reveals in the New Testament, the wages of sin is death. And so for them to stay there in that state with the Lord would be a death sentence for them because they have their sin and their guilt and shame weighing on their shoulders. And so God has to usher them out into the world, which has now been broken because of sin. All of the things, all the aspects, all the ways that God created us to be at peace, we lost it because of sin. This is all, this is us post-sin, just... Just a big mess. Kind of what I did when I dropped the first one. <laughs> yeah. This is, I mean, this is us. It, this, this is the same Lego set. Cost me the same amount of money. Came in the same box. And it, and it makes the same unicorn. But it's not in a state of shalom. It is not in Irene. All of the pieces are scattered. There's pieces on the floor. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to gather all the pieces together and put the whole thing back together again. <laughs> and these pieces themselves put, it, put themselves together. They're not sentient, and something that's broken can't restore itself to wholeness. So how in the world is this Lego set going to get back to a state of peace? Somebody existing outside of the Lego set who knows the original design, has to determine to bring shalom to the situation. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes uh, the life of a pastor can be, it can be very joyful. There are moments where it's like absolutely soul crushing. And then there are moments when you get to build Legos for 10 minutes in your office for a sermon illustration. So, you know, it has its perks. Um, in, in a very finite sense, that's what Jesus does with us. All of our pieces, they're scattered, they're broken. Even if we could gather them all back together again, we couldn't, you know, it would, at best it would be like putting all these back in the bag and then just kind of shaking the bag and hoping it all magically comes together. And that's never going to happen. So the best, that the, really the only thing we can hope for is that somebody who is already whole and already perfect and who knows the original design is going to come and put us back together again. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus... The source of peace, the prince of peace, brought perfect peace to the earth for the purpose of restoring peace to those who God loves. But for him, it was ultimately more painful than sitting at a desk for 10 minutes like I did in building a Lego set. So how did Jesus ultimately make peace for us? He exchanged his wholeness for our brokenness. He came to the earth as this, and he found us like this, and he made an exchange, his wholeness, for our brokenness. There's another prophecy of the Messiah in Isaiah 53 that perfectly illustrates this. 
and the language is, is very brutal. Um, it's not an easy read. And uh, it doesn't start out the way you would think. There are other prophecies in the Messiah, some we've read today, like, um, like Micah 5, where he, the Messiah is a king of ancient days. So he's a king. There are other prophecies where he's, you know, he's this, this triumphant savior and he's wreathed in glory and everything. This one doesn't look like that. In fact, if you didn't know, when you start reading this, you wouldn't think that this guy looks like much at all. The Messiah in Isaiah 53 is, is pictured as a suffering servant. I'm going to read the first three verses to you. Hear these words and, and just let them create a picture in your mind, okay? Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root out of dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. The suffering servant that Isaiah is speaking of doesn't look like much. In fact, you know what he does look like? He looks like he's broken, doesn't he? He's full of sorrow and grief. Have you ever felt sorrow and grief before? And you just feel broken? Especially grief. You know, something or someone that you love has been taken away and there's a grief in your heart and you feel like there's a missing piece. This man is well acquainted with grief and he is full of sorrow. He looks completely and utterly broken. He looks, in fact, like us. But then the prophet reveals what's really going on and what the truth about the servant really is in verse 4. He says, yet it was our weaknesses, our brokenness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was beaten so we could be made whole. Other translations translate that verse by saying, upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And the Hebrew word there is shalom. He was punished so we could have shalom. Jesus, the perfect, whole Son of God, brought his wholeness to earth for the exact purpose of exchanging his perfect wholeness for our brokenness so we could be made whole. And he allowed himself, he humbled himself and allowed himself to be broken in every way that we humans are broken. All those four ways that we were meant to be at peace in the garden that I mentioned already, Jesus became broken willingly for us in all of those ways. His body was broken. He was beaten. He was scourged. His mind is in such anguish in the garden, he is literally sweating drops of blood. He's at odds with his own creation because men who he shaped and molded and lovingly crafted in their mother's wombs are condemning him to death and carrying out his execution. And ultimately, his perfect relationship, his perfect eternal relationship with God the Father that just has always existed because that's who God is, there's a disconnect in that relation for the first time in eternity. I cannot even fathom what that is like. 
I can't. To have a perfect relationship with someone from eternity and to have that disconnected. I, I can't fathom it. But Jesus allowed himself to be broken in that way for us. And when he restores us to wholeness, this is the best part, all of those things that were broken, they all come to radical new life and they all become whole again. We can relate to creation better. We can relate to each other better. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. The second half of that chapter talks about Jesus. Paul says literally Jesus became our peace. He is our peace. And he did it by tearing down the dividing wall between races, between Jew and Gentile. And he breaks this wall and says now these two different groups of people become one in Jesus Christ. They're adopted sons and daughters of the same father now. So we, through, in and through Christ, we can relate to each other in a whole way, the way that we were always meant to relate to each other. We can look at ourselves accurately again. That's what true humility is, by the way. It's not like, well, I guess if I don't deserve it, I'm a terrible human being. That's false humility. That's, look, that's too, view, too low a view of yourself. And then pride is the opposite, thinking too highly of yourself. But when, what Christ does on the cross is he deals with your guilt and he deals with your shame. Meaning that when he lifts those things off your shoulders, you don't have to view yourself through the lens of your sin anymore. You don't have to view yourself through shame and through guilt anymore. You can view yourself exactly the way God views you and you can be at peace in your own mind about yourself. And then ultimately, and this is where it all starts and it spills over into everything else, he makes peace between us and God. He pays the price for our sin. He bears the punishment that was rightfully ours in his body on the cross. He dies so that we can live. This is how he exchanges his wholeness for our brokenness. The bottom line is you and I and every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever walked the earth or will ever walk the earth were made for peace. We were made to be whole but we broke our wholeness with our sin. But hallelujah, Jesus paid the price and restored our peace. That's the gospel. And it gets better because there's a whole benefits package that comes when you believe in Jesus and when you repent of your sin and you call on his name and he saves you, you get the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells in you. And the Holy Spirit is actively and constantly producing peace in your heart. Right now, as I am talking and you are sitting and listening to me, the Holy Spirit is producing peace in you, says the Bible. Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and a bunch of other great stuff, but it's peace. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He is constantly producing peace in you. And it's not a peace that's... that's it's not a peace that circumstance protection. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, the world tries to tell us if we can just, sometimes if we just build up enough of whatever, you know, build up enough money, well, then we'll be protected from circumstances. I can sleep at night because I have enough money in the bank that no matter what happens, I'll be able to pay for whatever I need, right? Until you pay for whatever you need, and then you run out of money in the bank, and you got real comfortable, and you got a lot of peace looking at that bank account number. Now you look at your bank account, and it's not there anymore, and your peace is gone. It's happened to me. I've been there. I've been there as a pastor when I put too much, as a pastor, I have sometimes put too much premium on the money in my bank account. And I don't need to do that because I'm whole in Christ. So I don't need to live that way and neither do you. Here's the peace that we get from Jesus. Jesus doesn't just say he gives us the world's peace but like more of it. John 14, 27, we already read this together today. Jesus says to his disciples before he is arrested, and put to death, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. He says, I give you my peace, and I don't give it to you, I don't give you the peace the world gives you. He acknowledges, look, the world will try to give you peace, but he makes a distinction between his peace and the world's peace. Here's the difference. 
Actually, no, wait, I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> Here's what you have to get first. The peace that you have, if you are in Christ and if Christ is in you, you have his peace right now. Seriously, you have it. You can access it, you can grab hold of it, you can use it, and you can give it away. You have it, and you don't have a deficiency of it. It's not like, well, he filled up your cup a quarter of the way because, boy, that's all you deserve today. <laughs> he filled it up the whole way and overflowing, and there's enough for you and enough for you to give out to everybody else. So if you have that peace in you through the Holy Spirit, what does it look like practically, and then how do we learn to leverage it? Here's the last point in your notes. What does the peace of Christ look like in the Christian life? And this is a big word, salad. It looks like a poise, contentedness, and rest that cannot change or be destroyed because they are not based on protection from circumstances, but on the wholeness imparted to us by Christ and constantly produced in us by his spirit. Let me explain what in the world all that means. Poise is a balanced bearing. It means walking with confidence. Contentedness and rest are a little bit easier. Poise is kind of where we don't use all the time. But contentedness, regardless of what I have, I am, at, I am at peace. I can rest. I can sleep. No matter where I am. No matter what I have. And the poise, the contentedness, and the rest that the peace of God produces in us don't get hijacked because of anything that goes on in this world, any external circumstances. It, it doesn't have to affect your peace. We can let it, and I'll get there in a second, but um, what you got to know is that Jesus has given you his peace, his wholeness positionally. That means when the Lord looks at you, he sees the peace and the righteousness and the wholeness of Christ. That's called justification. We're made right with God because Jesus paid the price for our sins, and now we are wrapped in his wholeness and his righteousness. Now, the other part of this, like I said, is the Holy Spirit is constantly producing peace in us, and he's making us more and more peaceful, more and more like Jesus. That's called sanctification. If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the more we become like Jesus, the more peace we're going to have. Does that make sense? It, it follows. It's, it's pretty easy. Here's the difference between Christ's peace and the world peace. The world says you can rest when you have X. You can have a poise and contentedness and rest when you have X. And then the world makes you do algebra. And you have to solve for X. The world says you're not whole and you know it and you recognize you're broken. And the fact that you recognize you're broken is evidence of the fact that you were made for wholeness because you realize something's missing. But X will make you whole. Money, relationship, fame, the fast car, whatever kids, whatever it is. Find X, solve for it, and then get it, and it will make you whole. So that's what we do. We spend our lives trying to get whatever X is, and then we finally get it, and we plug it in, and we realize it doesn't bring me the peace I thought it would. It brings me maybe momentary joy, and I can rest for a little bit until the car gets old, or the money drains from the bank account, or the house is falling apart, or the marriage is in trouble, or your kids run away. You see what I'm saying? All of these things. The joy and the peace that they bring can be fleeting. It's not that these things are bad things. We need money to survive. Kids are awesome, right? This is not, this, these aren't bad things. It's just that when we rely on them for peace, it doesn't work because we weren't made to be made whole by these things. We were made to be whole in Christ. That's why only in Christ can we be whole. That's why none of this other stuff ends up working out. So the world says, you can rest when you have X. You know what Christ says? He says, you can rest now because you have me. Because I have made you whole. Because in me you have everything you need. Christ's peace looks like Paul saying, I've learned how to be content whether I have a full stomach or whether I'm starving. That's Philippians 4.12. I can't even... This guy, I mean... I, I can't go off on the rabbit trail here, but you've been here through the book of Acts. If you've been here, you know what Paul has been through. And if he can be beaten and starved and arrested and in jail and still say, I am fully whole, even if I'm starving, that's a piece that circumstances aren't messing with. And those are like the worst possible circumstances. And he still has peace. Why? Because the, the peace is not based on circumstance. It's based on Christ. 
It looks like Jesus sleeping in the boat in the middle of a storm where all the other sailors are going, save us, we perish. It looks like Jesus being so peaceful, he's just taking a nap in the middle of the storm while everyone's life is in danger. Why? Because he's completely whole. He's completely, he's able to rest in the middle of circumstances that are causing everybody else to lose their minds. And you have that peace living and dwelling in you if you have believed in Jesus and repented of sin. If you have Christ in you, you have that peace. So why don't we always live in that peace? Why don't we always take advantage of this poise and contentedness and rest and wholeness that circumstances can't change? It's because we still have worldly thinking up here. God is gradually making us more and more like him, and he's gradually working out all the worldly thinking that we still have stuck up in our brain. So sometimes we still go back to, I have to solve for X, and then that will give me what I need, even though I already have Christ. It's like, um, I said this in the first service, it's like, it's like somebody gifting you a Porsche, and it's all you've ever wanted, and then you go drive my Camry around, and you complain that it doesn't handle like the Porsche. Well, no, duh, it's a Camry. But you have the Porsche sitting in your garage, just go get in it and use it. We have the peace of God already. We gotta stop accepting a counterfeit peace based on whatever else we think we need and start using the peace that we actually have. Here's another thing we do. Sometimes we, we, we misrepresent what's happening and we say, this thing that happened to me, it just robbed me of my peace. I've said that before, I'm not gonna ask you to, to admit that. Um, but I, I know some of us have said that before. It's robbed me of my peace. And, and I think I disagree with that statement now, even though I've said it before. Um, I disagree with it because if circumstances can't rob me of Christ, then circumstances can't rob me of my peace, right? Does that make sense? Paul says in Romans eight thirty eight, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he gives us a whole big old list And none of those things, which are really, really powerful, can separate us from Christ. Meaning, external circumstances, even even the stuff that's really, really hard and gut-wrenching and soul-crushing, even circumstances that hurt and pain that you've never experienced before that when it comes just absolutely deflates you and causes such pain and grief and sorrow, even those things cannot take away your peace. So how then can we learn to use that peace that we have in every circumstance? I want to show you a real simple way to do that today. Worship team, you can come. Um, I want to give you a simple way that comes right out of the Bible to experience God's peace in whatever circumstance you're in right now. We had that word from the Lord this morning, and there are some people in this house that are going through circumstances. And the winds and the rain are, are, are trying to trash the house that you've built. But if you've built your house on the rock, your house can stand firm, and you can be inside that house in complete and perfect peace no matter what's going on outside. And there may be some people who are with us right now who don't have a relationship with Christ, and who haven't built their lives on him and on his peace. And before we do this exercise, I want to give anybody who's under the sound of my voice a chance to opt into the kingdom of God and to receive that peace and wholeness that Jesus offers. So let's all bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. If that's you, if you can hear my voice wherever you are, and you recognize in your heart that you're not at peace with God, but you want to be. And you realize that you're a sinner and that you have broken things, relationships, and, and your, your view of yourself is broken, but you want it to be made whole. And you've heard the gospel today that Jesus Christ brought the full wholeness of God to the earth for the purpose of exchanging his wholeness for your brokenness. And if you want to take him up on that offer, I want to let you know how to do that. All you need to do is believe and repent. You believe. What do you need to believe? You need to believe that you need to be saved, right? Believe that you're broken like we already talked about. You need to believe that Jesus can save you, that he's the perfect, whole son of God. And then you need to believe that he will save you 
if you ask him to. Like the Bible says, whosoever will may come. So you need to believe those things, and then you need to repent. What does that mean? That means turning away from God and turning, or sorry, turning away from your sin and turning towards God, calling on his name and asking for him to save you. And if you do those things, then you can be saved right now. All you need to do, if in your heart right now there is that belief and there is repentance, all you need to do is tell, is ask the Lord to save you. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, save me. And he will. If you want more direction, you can pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I admit that I'm broken. That I'm a sinner. But I believe that you want to exchange your wholeness for my brokenness. And you want to make me right with you. So today I repent. I turn away from doing things my own way. And I turn towards you in your way. Make me whole. Save me. Redeem me. And if you pray a prayer as simple as that, or something just like it, then you can be saved. And if you've prayed that today, you are being saved right now. And I want to give you an opportunity, or I would love the opportunity to celebrate that with you this morning. So if that was you and you're here with us today, if you made the decision to follow Jesus and to let him make you whole, I'm going to count to three. And on three, if that's you, just slip your hand up real quick, make eye contact with me, and then you can put your hand right back down. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. This is just a way for me to know that you've come into the kingdom and it'll let me celebrate with you. So if that's you and you made that decision today, I would love to know. So simply, when I get to three, Slip your hand up, make eye contact with me, and then you can put your hands right back down. Here we go. One, two, three. Is anyone made right with Jesus today? Got you, brother. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Now, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I want to lead you in a, in a simple exercise. Paul actually recommends this in Philippians chapter 4. Here's what he writes. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need, thank him for all he's done, and then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. How do we learn to use this peace that he's constantly producing in us? We recognize when we need it, because of whatever we're worrying about, then we bring that thing to the Lord in prayer, we let him know what we need, we thank him for what he has done, and then we, re we receive and enjoy his peace. So let's do that right now. I don't know what burdens you came in carrying this morning. I know there are some. Why don't we just take 30 seconds before we close with a final worship song. Take 30 seconds to just share that with the Lord. He's already told you that there is hope and peace for you while you're waiting on your breakthrough. He stopped the service today to tell you that so you can trust him with whatever you're carrying. So just take 30 seconds of silence while we have some, some soft music playing in the background. Tell the Lord exactly what you need and thank him for just one thing that he's already done for you. And then I'll, I'll come back. So tell him what you need and thank him for what he has done. So if you've told him what you need, you thanked him for what he's done, then Paul says, then you will experience God's peace. So just take a moment and just say in your own heart, Lord, I receive your peace today. Let him flood your heart and mind with his faithfulness, with his wholeness, with his peace. Thank you, Lord, for your peace.
Thank you for the tangible feeling of wholeness that we find in your presence. No matter where we go, you're always with us. And you're in us. And you gave your life so that I could have peace. and So we could be made whole. Thank you for what you've done for us. I pray, Lord, that as we go, you will keep us in your perfect peace. That like Paul says, your peace will guard our hearts and our minds. It'll guard us against attacks of the enemy. It'll guard us against our own thoughts and our own feelings sometimes. Lord, we know that we're whole in you, and that's all we need. So help us to be at peace today. In your name I pray. Amen. A welcome team is going to come, and our prayer team is going to come here, and we're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings, and our prayer team is going to be down front on my left and my right. If you have a prayer need that you want a brother or sister to, to link arms with you and, and support you and pray with you through, might even be that thing you came in that you're waiting on a breakthrough this morning. Don't miss this opportunity to have someone pray for you. Our welcome team is here, and they're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings. If you're willing and able, why don't you stand with us? I'm going to pray over our offering. We're going to sing one final song together, and then we're going to close and enjoy some good baked goods out in the lobby. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us so much. Thank you for giving us Jesus, and thank you for giving us your perfect peace. We take this moment now to return some of what you've given to us back to you. It's all yours. Everything you've given us, it's all yours. And so we return to you a portion of what you've given us out of obedience to you and out of generosity, wanting to see your kingdom expand throughout the world. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives and what you're doing in and through us. I pray that this offering will go to speed your kingdom and advance your agenda around the world. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.